0: What's that? <laughs> that one's pointed to me too. No, I just but, no to get so, a yeah, just so we don't get
1: the. Although we can always, you know, we're on okay. three separate okay, tracks, so you can crunch I it. I don't know why I brought like really over. loud.
0: <laughs> no, 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 we should get but
1: a pack is of is chips <laughs> for, for you to like
0: get both for going. T- <laughs>
1: as long as your chewing sound <laughs> doesn't come out on our mics, I think you're, I think you're good. I think
2: it will. <laughs> okay. All
0: right.
1: Julian, thanks for joining us again.
0: Yeah, real pleasure.
2: Welcome to the Empire Files Podcast. This is Abby Martin. When people hear the words Cambridge Analytica, it brings to mind a narrative implanted in everyone's mind without question. That a shady far-right billionaire used tactics of psychological warfare and manipulation to successfully swing the election for Trump. And the hip, pink-haired millennial whistleblower who helped save American democracy by exposing it. But now, years later, the truth has come out that the narrative broadcast by every single mainstream media outlet got it totally wrong. This explosive story was first revealed in a French magazine, but it was never translated into English or even reported on in the U.S. The only outlet to cover the story was our friends at the QAnon Anonymous podcast, who partnered with the journalist who broke the story. We were blown away by the episode, both for its revelations about Cambridge Analytica but also what the story tells us about U.S. politics and media. Joining us again in the studio is Julian Field, producer and co-host of QAnon Anonymous.
0: Can't wait to talk about something no one cares about <laughs> that was already kind of boring in the first place. That is uh,
1: <laughs> some of the best stories yeah. are the things no one cares about and yeah. no one will care about when you do it. Yeah, it's a, a lot of projects going into it knowing
0: that. Yeah.
1: And many people will not care.
0: I'm not giving up on it. I'm I've been I have been like kind of contacting different people. I I trust that the story has its own value and legs, you know. But it's just it's just one of those things that I think everybody just was like that's pretty much settled business and or it seemed nerdy and boring like the words Cambridge Analytica is like uh-huh. designed to put an American person to sleep. It right. just sounds like oh Cambridge. Uh, uh, some sort of Even British first name. Yeah. British nerds of some sort who care. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you
1: mean you haven't been booked up with interviews about the big story that you guys broke
0: uh yeah no i do actually i have to i have to go uh, <laughs> npr hit me up um yeah not exactly but you well know. you
1: guys did kind of break a big story and it is like a very important original reporting but before we go into the actual story the hoax the real story the personalities just talk about what Happened like how did this investigation happen? Who is involved? Who you talk to? All of that.
0: Yeah. So the reporter who's responsible for the the work here, basically all of the work that this came out of, is uh, a French reporter called Anthony Mosry, and he writes for Society Magazine. Which is, um, uh, they they touch on politics, they touch on more general culture stuff, but they're a print-only magazine. So this has just never really been out there in, in the digital sphere, nor has it ever been translated from French. Right. Additionally, more reporting has happened since like that original investigation, and that was in 2020, when he essentially set out to do about 40 different. Uh, exclusive interviews, including with Steve Bannon, with Christopher Wiley, the, the whistleblower behind uh, the Cambridge Analytica scandal, um, people who were on a variety of campaigns, from Ted Cruz's to Trump's to um, Obama's, you know, who 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 were really kind of the pioneers of, of micro-targeting. And uh, he gathered these interviews, and he also gathered a lot of primary documents. So email exchanges, um you know, when it comes to Christopher Wiley, a lot of the documents he was preparing to uh, uh, for his own company, uh, job applications, letters he sent soliciting work from campaigns. And along the way, what it became apparent to Antony was that this was on some level a conspiracy theory, that this was not the story that it actually appeared to be. And that was pretty relevant because... Everybody in the media ran with it. I mean, we heard stories about Steve Bannon's Death Star and all this stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, like this magic sauce that they used essentially to, like, convince your your uncle to vote for Donald Trump and uh, swing the election unnaturally. And it's, it involves Russians, of course, because it was built into Russia Gate as well. And so 2020 goes by. You know, I think this is the kind of like long form well-researched article that is common in good French media, Mm -hmm. but it's also like, you know, not um, uh, heavily distributed or syndicated or translated and, you know, print only. That's like, you know, that's, that's a whole other gamut. You Meaning not even online in pr- or no, online? In print? Not even oh, online. Oh shit. You got to buy the magazine. Yeah.
1: Oh shit. Yeah. You have so, to buy the magazine. So the story that you guys covered on your show, that's, it doesn't exist anywhere in English. It's It, it exists, not in, exists, in, it exists in a magazine no. in France,
0: in French. Exactly. By Anthony Montsou. And Anthony Montsou, when we met in Paris, I think it was 2021, Um, we were meeting about, QAnon, because he was writing a very good book that has since come out called Les Dissidents, uh, also not translated, but a very good book on conspiracy theories around COVID. And, you know, he did a lot of like um, additional reporting on like the negative 48 cult, big aspects and subcultures of QAnon, where he would go and really like spend like a bunch of time with these people. Um, So he was working on that book and he had been listening to the podcast and he saw that I posted about being in like in paris he's like oh we should meet up and so we instantly got along because we were both smoking tons of cigarettes and you know and uh that's really what it's like in paris huh yeah it's like we were smoking tons of cigarettes on a terrace literally (laughs) and we were like hell yeah we should go for beers and stuff and so he was showing me kind of his his neighborhood that i um didn't like fully know like the political roots of that like Great part of Paris, like around the 19th and 20th arrondissement, but there's like a lot of really interesting, you know, lefty and anarchist like history there. Uh, so we were having beers, and he was like, uh, he told me about this novel that he had been hired to write based on this article that he ended up not writing, basically. Like, he never he never wrote that book, and instead it became Le Dissidant, which was, like, on a totally different topic. But he explained to me that, like, the reason why he got interested in conspiracy theories is because he had done all this work on Cambridge Analytica and that it was uh, a conspiracy theory or a hoax. And I was just, like, I was genuinely blown away because, I mean, you know, you can characterize it You know, oh, well, maybe, you know, not everyone's being honest or whatever. This is an imperfect whistleblower. But that really kind of undersells what happened here in terms of how it was characterized to the public, how many huge outlets jumped on board and published very alarmist uh, uh, stuff, and how much of that was based on faulty assumptions from the way the data. Um, was acquired to what it meant that they had that data and how it compared to other data sets that were commonly available publicly, uh, how Cambridge Analytica compared to other data companies that were all competing for business, um, who was the real, like, you know, kind of um, beginner of this these techniques and the the pioneer of these techniques um, of micro-targeting online, in, broadly speaking. And, you know, what, what kind of, like, became apparent as I sat, with Anthony in his apartment, started listening to these recordings, listening to Steve Bannon being interviewed for hours in Italy about it, uh, listening to him speaking for hours to Christopher Wiley, uh, sometimes recordings that were made uh, by a person in a meeting because they knew that what was being said was so crazy that they had to record it. And we like got those recordings, you know, between, you know, like an engineer that that was working with Christopher Wiley um, in and around the Cambridge Analytica period and when he became a whistleblower. And yeah, what became apparent is that A, the data black magic, so the very, like, smoking gun of, like, they did this crazy stuff. Uh, The the idea is that Steve Bannon is a genius, and he took Robert Mercer's money, and they built... One of the most immoral and unethical, like, targeting things that invades, somehow invades human beings' privacy and knows you better than you know yourself. And that they then used this to buy ads that modified people's behaviors and swung the election for Trump. And that this was also in coordination with a bunch of, you know, different, like, Russian um, elements or whatever. Yeah, so that's like... So that magic doesn't exist. Right. So that's the story that people
1: know when people hear Cambridge Analytica. Yeah. That's the story that they know. Is that's that it. the nefarious right wing billionaire mm-hmm. Mercer poured money into this project. Steve Bannon used it to like win this election for Trump. Mm-hmm. And it was all that's why Trump won. One yeah. of the big reasons Trump won is because so many people were and, and we'll get to this uh, the this title, but mind fucked. By yes. Steve Bannon. And that's, that's the title of the book by the book. whistleblower, which we'll talk about is that Bannon had this mind fuck machine that uh, used data and manipulated people into voting yes. this way or another. And that's what was, that. Was, that's really what was behind the victory. So that's like the yeah. commonly understood story about yeah. Cambridge Analytica. It had which, to be
2: this nefarious machinery that, you know, yeah. was manipulating people's minds and, and going back to Russia Gate and, and reinforcing like, that. It is really bad machinery.
0: It just happens to be, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, sector wide. All the companies are doing this. Most of them did it better than Cambridge Analytica. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, You really have to break it down, basically. There's the first level, which is the scraping of the data, which is actually where the biggest scandal, in my opinion, lies. Uh, And that's the fact that Facebook did not have, like, privacy policies in place uh, and privacy settings in place that would prevent people from just dragging a bunch of people's personal data straight off the platform. They call it scraping. And so the scraping of that data, which was available to anybody, not just Cambridge Analytica, if they knew how to, you know, like do this thing, mm-hmm. um, is insane. Like This is like one of the biggest, like, you know, breaches of privacy of users um, and breaches of trust. And it's because, like, Facebook's infrastructure just did not care enough about that aspect of things. But the data itself um, that was scraped was the reason why we thought it was so important was because it was everybody's, like, their likes, right? The, the center of this is Facebook likes. right? So the idea that you can learn a lot about somebody through seeing what their likes are on Facebook. Yeah, and
1: what was one of the claims um, that was made is, like, based on 100 Facebook
2: likes you could. It had up to five thousand data points. I remember that being right. like a. You could predict some, what someone,
1: like someone's behavior, better than like their spouse. Their spouse, or something yeah. Like
0: that. There was a claim. I think it was maybe three hundred, but there's a, a scale of like coworker and then you know loved one and stuff. And they were claiming that that if you just get a certain amount of likes, um, you're you're gonna know someone better than like the people around them in their life, you know, and you can predict better. You can predict their behavior and thus predict how they would vote or how they would react to a piece of content that is designed to change how they vote. Yes. And therefore, those are the people that should be shown ads. That's
1: how they can justify getting paid a ton of money for political targeting. Um, You know, one of the crazy things I learned from your episode that uh, isn't exactly part of the bigger story, but I just kind of tripped me out is that all those Facebook quizzes that were like so popular, you're like, which Disney villain are you? Like take a survey. Like that was just a method of getting people's data. It was oh, like creating, it was designed that way. Mm-hmm. creating a clickbait thing yeah. and then getting people to answer questions about their personality. And yeah. then that would be used to create like a psychological profile of them to then be sold to advertisers, both political and commercial advertisers. And it's it's so crazy how big of a part of American culture those quizzes were. Yeah. It was so huge that even that's where the uh, Childish Gambino got his name. It's like he took a Facebook right. quiz. It was which, what would your Wu Tang name be, or something oh like that, and like that's yeah. what he got. And yeah. then he's like, "I'll just use this as my name." Yeah. And It was like such a part of the culture that that was. was actually funny and cool to do at the time. Yeah, but it was actually just like a trick to get to for you to fill out personality quizzes to then be used against you.
0: Yeah, and arguably it was done relatively innocently at first. There were mm-hmm. two data scientists who, yeah, they were kind of huffing their own, you know, paint, but like they. They basically were like, well, we we want to see if we can model um, behavior based around this thing they call the five-factor uh, model, which is, when you look at it, uh, it's pretty subjective, you know? It's like conscientiousness is one of them, you know? It's like these very uh, ill-defined terms, and it's heavily disputed. Yeah, like neuroticism is one of the five things that is mm-hmm. like a, develops
1: your personality profile.
0: This is super disputed, and it seems honestly like an arbitrary, uh, set of things like Brig Myers, you know, there's various different models like this that data scientists use. So these data scientists were pulling stuff down. They were trying to categorize people in these five, in these five categories. And that was supposedly, you know, this secret sauce, but the likes uh, the data that was scraped w- were outdated it's also not clear what a like means right. but the result was always absurd like they have these hilarious examples uh, where it's like if you like the page a uh, voice of uh, Morgan Freeman and you follow uh, and you like curly fries then you're actually like you know uh, a conscientious person or whatever or like they had one that was if you uh, follow like Sarah Palin or something like you're the mo- you're very decisive or um, these are examples wow. not yeah. the specifics but it was that about absurd when you got down to what the actual conclusions were, right. ha- were happening. And people kind of knew that, but it didn't matter because it was also, again, a huge viral success with the media. Uh, Facebook uh, likes can like predict your behavior or know your personality better than your loved ones. Right. Yeah. It's a great headline. It's So it spread very quickly. And these guys were giving talks everywhere and shit. And then this guy, Christopher Wiley, fell in love with that. And he loved the data that that soon, of course, became privatized, and people were starting to kind of pay for the service um, of, of, of accessing this. And so, yeah, he, he was the one who ended up being the whistleblower. He was the one who ended up being hired uh, at Cambridge Analytica. He was a young man in his mid-20s, you know, very ambitious. And one of the hidden aspects of him is that he had been dreaming about like an an even more an even next level concept of this where he could recreate all of society and track their actions in silico so in the computer basically create a model almost like the sims where you would be able to predict like voting and all this stuff by inputting all these different data points taken from personality
2: quizzes and I remember hearing about this guy, and and it's funny that I just, like, believed to a certain extent that this was true, that you could kind of harvest (laughs) the data um, of people online and, like, predict their behavior. Because, like, on the face of it, it is so ridiculous, and it it, it is so clearly just another rationalization by, like, liberal hysteria and media to justify why someone like Trump... Yes. Could could exist and rise to power, and then of course the next thing was Brexit, where it's like, oh no, it wasn't really that people were, you know, disenchanted with the system and want and doing these drastic things. It was really this, this, this Cambridge Analytica thing with behind with these shadowy forces from yeah. right wing billionaires, and it's like it's just so absurd when you really look at what the granular level of like the data mining really was.
0: Yeah, and let's be clear, data mining. Is, has, is not at all exclusive to Facebook. The publicly available data points that all of the biggest data firms that work with every single campaign on both sides has better and more precise and up-to-date data than was available through these Facebook mm-hmm. quizzes and through these likes, through the supposed elaborate, amazing next level like uh, d- data machine that Steve Bannon had built. So we're literally just talking about targeting people on Facebook, which is available through Facebook. You can pick your demographic, you can pick what likes they have, mm-hmm. and you can target them directly. You know, the idea here was that this had created a super system that could actually change people's behavior, mm-hmm. right. not just study them, right. but know what they would do next and know how they would react to something. And that that somehow changed a dramatic amount of people's minds about voting for Trump. That it wasn't a vote based on uh, anything else than that. But when you look at it, the Trump campaign was not better at micro-targeting than Obama. In fact, the Trump campaign was just one of many Republican campaigns that, after losing twice in a row to Obama, started getting really interested in data science and micro-targeting. And sometimes it didn't work out because like, look at Hillary Clinton, like microtargeting was a central uh, part of how she planned to beat Trump and it didn't work for her. But the, uh, the hidden secret is that the 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 left uh, and Obama campaigns were the actual um, best data scientists and microtargeters out there. And that, yes, it makes a certain amount of difference, but these are available to everybody through all these big companies that are more secretive and much larger than Cambridge Analytica, which was a shitty little upstart based on a series of insanely tawdry stories about like fixing elections on small islands, you know, like in tax havens. So they were horrible. But then one day they were like, we want to make a bunch of money in America. Well, how do I get some consulting money in America? Well, we'll put together a data firm um, that's going to be a sub firm from uh, SCL, which was the main parent company. We'll call it Cambridge Analytica. We'll have Mercer Money. We'll put Bannon in charge of it. We're going to be going. We, we're going to hire Christopher Wiley. We're going to go out and pitch campaigns. And they pitched everybody. I mean, they pitched the Trudeau government. Uh, they, you know, they pitched Hillary, or supposedly, he claims. But what really was happening is that he was p- also pitching Dominic Cummings and Trump. And not just as Cambridge Analytica as his other company that he left Cambridge Analytica to found that would be in direct competition with it and use some of the exact same data, which he was later basically caught by this, what I can only describe as an aristocratic buffoon and blowhard who's at the head of of the of the company, uh, Cambridge Analytica, uh, called Christopher Nix. Yeah, yeah. And so we're going to,
1: there's a couple pieces of the story here that I think are important. Like, of course, Christopher Wiley, we need to get into him in yes. a second. Um, the, the- I think the entire political consulting industry is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, so this this story kind of exposes that and how weird that is in America. But just because we've already been talking about it, like, the funny thing about this is that the fact that it just doesn't work. And so, like, this idea yeah. that this happened and there's this big manipulation, like, obviously, like some amount of data collection works when it it comes to, like, companies selling you stuff, right? Sure. Like, you'll get targeted ads for you on Instagram when you've just been, like, thinking about needing to get, like, "Ah, I I need to get a humidifier for my room and somehow it'll know you're thinking that. And So, like, obviously there is some sophistication in data collection when it comes to, like, consumerism, but politics and people's complexities with how they're, like, that's not just how they're going to vote and knowing how to target them. That may be a little easier, but the idea that you could then introduce the right things to push them into a completely different way. Yeah. I mean, and the media
2: was television. unquestioning on this. I just yeah. typed in Cambridge Analytica just for fun in Google. And it was like every single mainstream media reporter is just like, and here's how they did it. Yeah. Like it's just totally here's how they won election for Trump. It
0: is a tawdry company. But again, it was like a, a small shitty, uh, very unsuccessful, uh, in, in the big picture. Because if you look at what they did with the Cruz campaign, which was the whole cell, like for the company being good, the cruise campaign itself, people inside it, and even people inside Cambridge Analytica knew that it wasn't making a difference. Yeah, so in From the your, beginning they worked, cruise lost points. Yeah, you have uh, <laughs> you have
1: interviews with people who worked at the cruise campaign, Trump campaign, and they're basically yeah. saying this shit did not work. It and, didn't make a difference. And in fact, you, some some were even suspecting that they had been like scammed.
0: Yeah. They're like, oh, these, these guys just scam- scammed us. They scammed by giving them the very pitch that would become the core of the scandal, which was that this was new and unique and a, and it, it could model people's behaviors and predict it even better than the normal data science that everybody was using anyways. And that yeah. was not true. It was basically like, a, there, there's a quote from someone inside the cruise campaign that said, we we did this stuff, but it didn't work better than our random, random. guesses. Like a, yeah. gl- a, a person who kind of understands how segments of populations work and just tries to target it themselves it didn't work better than that right.
1: So it didn't work. And you're just randomly picking, like, I was just going to randomly throw out ads for Ted Cruz and I'm going to pay this guy $10 million to choose who we're going to show these ads to. It was like the same result,
0: basically. Yeah, not not random because everybody is doing a certain amount of micro-targeting, right? right? So like everybody is still picking like an age bracket or whatever, right. or like they'll be like, well, if they like the Tucker Carlson show, I think they'll listen to a Republican right. message and 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 or whatever. Or, hey, what about this show that's not quite like Tucker Carlson, but we think some people would be able to pe- be peeled away. So it depends whatever your fan... Fantasy, which was for Hillary was like, oh, the soccer, suburban soccer moms oh. for the Republicans. It was something else. Everybody makes these ideas in Gun their head guys, like, yeah. like which that.
2: was like really the foundation of Russia gay too, was the targeted Facebook ads that Russia was funding. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's so ridiculous when you look at actually what those ads were, the swole Bernie yeah. Sanders, the swole Bernie Sanders no, no, no. and, stuff and like they,
0: the calculus that has been done since then about if this worked to the maximum of its ability was so infinitesimal. Like it was and people have to understand you have to try to distinguish this from just a TV ad, right? Because a TV ad is already a targeted thing. You know the demographic for the show you're going to mm-hmm. be running it on. And you know like the date or whatever and you run it and you get a certain segment of the population, which is kind of like how Facebook targeting quote unquote works. It's just that the claim here was, well, we can target them down to the household, which you can do with the data that the the big companies already have, mm-hmm. even better. I mean, these people have a lot of data points on anybody they want that is publicly available and that these companies have stored and and are updating better than the Facebook likes model, because this was like a dump of data from this guy called Kogan that fueled the Cambridge work. And that then Christopher Wiley basically, you know, is accused of kind of taking parts of that data to try to start his own company. But he had had a dream of doing this and they had hired him because he was going to be the That guy to put in place the secret sauce. He worked there for six months and then stopped. They were not, they were not, uh, uh, um, uh, his side company that then he tried to compete with were not successful in like courting clients properly. He had like a small preliminary contract with the Trudeau government but he went on to pitch Trump and Dominic Cummings after supposedly resigning in disgust over like the ethical uh, meaning of what he was doing at Cambridge Analytica. Oh, that after that, so okay, <laughs> so let's
1: get into Christopher Riley real quick because for those who don't, if the name doesn't bring his image to mind when we describe him, you will obviously remember him. He was like the guy with like pink hair, and yeah. nose ring. He he Dressed really cool, like I remember in like the CNN interview he did. He was wearing a shirt by like Pleasures, like the cool like designer streetwear company. It was like he had yeah, this yeah. whole aesthetic. Like his book, he eventually wrote a book called Mindfuck: Cambridge Analytica and the Plot to Break America, which you like tear apart in your episode, like go through it and point out all the lies in it, which we'll get to. But I just think it's funny in the about the author section how he is described. Either by himself or by the publisher, uh, I don't know who does that, who writes the about the author. But it says, uh, "quote Wiley has been called the millennials' first great whistleblower and a pink-haired, nose-ringed oracle sent from the future." Um, and <laughs> wow, the blurb on the front of the book is, "Abby, do you want to read the blurb Wait, That's on the front?" It's, uh, look the... for the;
2: it's in bold. The mind fuck. "Quote: clever, funny, bitchy, profound." <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, like,
1: obviously, he had this brand, and it was like the. The gay vegan hacker. liberal uh, gay hacker Canadian,
0: guy. yeah, it, it was, was like such a feel good narrative. Yeah. Meanwhile, the guy is like he's doing this, and he knows that on the side and after Cambridge, he was pitching like the guy behind Brexit and Donald Trump. Yeah, so yeah, this he's like is, a right wing operative.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean how he, he was started. he was
0: he wanted to just do it for anybody. Right. But the thing is it's a bit more saturated on the left because they know how to do it because they pioneered right. with Obama. So he saw that the right wing was the place where you could make some money and get some wins and give yes. them the data services for the first time.
1: Yeah. So this guy is like he's the savior. He's the guy who comes and blows the whistle, exposes Bannon's project, da-da-da-da. But before before he becomes this so-called whistleblower, so, like, the part we just talked about of of the story is that, like, it's, it's a hoax that Cambridge Analytica swung the election for Trump. That's, you know, sensational enough, I think. But the idea that this big whistleblower, the hero of the story himself, is, like, This is like the big story is that this guy is just like a fraud. So like before he becomes like the whistleblower that he, you know, brands himself as like, what is that background before? So he starts off wanting to do this kind of work. So like, it's not just like he got, he's some data expert that gets brought on in this Cambridge Analytica project. His entire career prior to this is... Well, you said try to create the Sims, but for America, like you could just create a Sims, but it's everyone's actual profiled person lives in the Sims with all the data that's been collected on them. So he's, he's had a dream to be this guy. He wanted to apply
0: the five, uh, the, the, the five factor, uh, method of, of, you know, like disputed psychology to politics. And what he was doing was just importing it over from the commercial side. And he thought that that would allow him to put in enough points through like the collection of this data through like these companies like Facebook and, and other ways to, to scrape data and that that would create an actual model that would replicate the world well enough to truly determine and or potentially change this. And he was extremely enamored with this idea. We have exchanges with one of his friends, close friends, who he's just trading, you know, text messages with being like evil is sexy, you know, like evil, evil pays better. <laughs> he said, um, I'm trying to create the NSA's wet dream. You know, I mean, these are his words. So he he was always seduced by that side of things. And he was always willing to work for right wing candidates if like that was the opportunity at hand. And he pitched them and told them he thought he saw opportunities on the right for this kind of work to help with Brexit and to help get Donald Trump elected. And he did that outside of Cambridge Analytica with a company called Unoya that he had formed with several people. And we have direct testimony from the people who worked with him. We have direct testimony from the campaign, uh, the campaign people that he pitched. Uh, Ken Strasma, who worked as a, a micro-targeter for Obama, spoke to us uh, about Wiley and what he was doing. But, you know, I mean, it's not even that hard because you can see Wiley speaking in public at a bunch of different um, conferences and stuff like that. And like, he's very like adamant about this stuff. I mean, he has this whole story that like cuz you know now he works as like a, uh, by the way you know has a successful career as as the kind of like data director for H&M. So oh, wow. the, the man hasn't exactly sacrificed oh, everything to become a whistleblower. Right. He got rehired into the private <laughs> market and promises the same kind of things but within that market, right, which is more acceptable, less dramatic. But he's still like making these speeches where you know we included a bit of this at the end of our two-parter where he's like talking about his meeting with Steve Bannon which may have never even happened like Mm -hmm. him just meeting personally with steve bannon but like they're going over third wave feminism and he like he literally says he's like oh sister you know your third wave or whatever he's just he wants bannon to be a genius because Mm -hmm. then bannon would be a genius for hiring him because he's also a genius and his technique works and that's why it created this mind fuck like you know he's he literally describes himself as icarus in his book wow (laughs) Wow, <laughs> it's very self mythologizing and it's just false from, from the techniques functioning the way that he fantasized and, or knew they did, which I think, you know, at some point when you're doing very different work than what you pitched, you start to know that your, yeah. your story is just a story that you're pitching with, that you're helping Nick's picks pitch with that you're pitching on the side with. And, you know, he, he started to believe and, or wants to represent, uh, that his idea works it doesn't. And second of all, that then this idea uh, that that he became, you know, morally outraged by what they were doing because they had succeeded in using this idea that doesn't (laughs) work. And thus he was in in a deadly (laughs) state of promised. He's like, I can do this for you. (laughs) I guess I gave you Donald Trump like, whoops, I'm just that smart, I I guess. guess. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah,
1: one of the DMs that you shared that is in the episode is like he's telling his like he believes that he has this secret sauce he believes that Mm -hmm. his system will work and like he says his friend like maybe one day we can use this for good like but for now evil is what what makes the money so like you know he's worked for Supposedly worked for Obama
0: for liberals in Canada, but uh, but he, then he, he never actually worked for Obama. He was just kind of courting right, them. Okay, he did work for a tiny bit with Trudeau, and then got like shifted uh, uh, after the preliminary. They just decided not to go right. with them. So his side project actually wasn't working. Like commercially. He wasn't able to put the company together. But these were true believers. I mean, we have interviews with the engineer uh, that are recorded in in Vauxhall, uh, where he's just having a conversation with this graphic designer that they're trying to uh, have put together the identity for their company, which Mm -hmm. they called Unoya, which means beautiful thinking. And he's like, you know, he's telling him, like, this would be a world wonder. Like, this is a product on scope with Facebook and like, you know, I mean, it's they, they I really. I mean, hey, if you're it. trying to get venture capitalists
1: to invest in you, you want it. That's the image you That's want to portray. This is the new Facebook. Yeah, and you're, you're asking a your graphic designer
0: to make it fucking spiffy because right. you're going to be in 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 rooms and you're going to be showing your deck to Corey Lewandowski. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, but it shows like the fact that he pitched to Obama, then he
1: pitches to Bannon, which we'll get to in a second. It's like his political ideology was money. Oh, that for was sure. It's yeah. like it, it didn't I mean, matter where he. And yeah. that, this is you like, can
0: see it in those texts to his friend that he that he thinks are 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 private. Right. Like he's clearly saying, like, ah, oh, now I'm working for these libertarians. His main qualm working for the Mercers and for Steve Bannon is that he's not getting the money for right. it. He he thinks that he's getting ripped off because he's going on these little contracts where they hire him for a little period of time and then he right. uses his great big brain to like give them big success, which unproven. Um, but, but that's just not, that's just not how things happened at all, basically. Right. And so he,
1: this is back in 2013 is when he like reaches out to Steve Bannon and Robert Mercer, right? Mercer being the, he
0: applies for a job on a, basically a website where people who are in data science, um, post job applications and he he applies to work for cambridge analytica Mm -hmm. and tells them like you guys are doing data, like flatters them with some bullshit like you guys are doing data so cool it's so great you're so (laughs) awesome you're not like these other dumb companies even though cambridge analytica was a really tawdry and awful company uh you know it was like on record but so he's kind of like you know sucking up to them a bit like you're applying for a job you know he sucks up to them a bit and then he's like but i can like bring it to the next level because i have these cool like other ideas and by hiring him, um, Nix and and uh, this other guy that actually, like, did the hiring inside the company, they thought, like, we're bringing on this data wizard who's going to basically help us, like, get up to speed uh, with the kind of um, the, the, the broader used, like, left-wing stuff. What he was promising them was something more, but that's because in every deck that Cambridge Analytica... And Wiley and anybody in this industry will write. They'll pretend to have secret sauce. Mm-hmm. That's how you get clients. And right. I have firsthand experience of that. I've worked. Uh, I used to work in marketing, and I, I I've seen these data people in rooms with their clients, how they talk to them about their services. I've seen them use the Briar like the the Briggs model, which is just as disputed as the five factor. You know, it's like to believe this scandal, you have to believe the pitch that's coming out of like one of the most sordid showmen. And like, and and the the company was dissolved because it's, uh, as soon as people started looking to the company, they saw all this Kits and Nevis, uh, you know, essentially like <laughs> private black ops that were like, uh, you know, blackmailing politicians and like swinging votes. Yeah. So that was the real, the Cambridge Analytica, like really juicy did. stuff was like. Yeah. SCL did that. Yeah. SCL elections.
1: Right. So putting out like, uh, amplifying stories of like sexual assault yeah. against people,
0: like bribes, like shit like yeah. that, which was kind of like they did a sting you know. where they met with like the 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 one of the candidates and like gave him a bribe basically, right. like and then filmed it all and like released it and stuff. Right. Like that's that's what they would do. Is just like this kind of low-level, like, cloak-and-dagger. Yeah, kind of exactly. Gotcha They're trying stuff. to be, like,
1: CIA agents. Yeah, and they for... were quite
0: successful in swinging elections in some of those little um, islands. But it's not, its not like, a big coincidence, I think, that, like, when liberals took one look at this company, they were just going to believe Christopher Wiley on face value because, like, these people were truly shit. I mean, you know, Alexander Nix is a despicable person. What Cambridge Analytica did and what this SCL, uh, uh, like, election company that that, that basically gave birth to, to Cambridge Analytica did is, like, very tawdry and oftentimes pretty successful in, like, manipulating mm-hmm. elections on small scales. They just wanted to get into the American micro-targeting market. See, it was a, a
1: big, very lucrative market. Yes, and that's, like, a big part of the story, too, is that political consulting as an industry in America is a $10 billion is that a $10 billion a year industry? I mean, it's mm-hmm. a big market. Oh, for yeah, sure. It's, like, yeah. it's massive. Yeah. It's huge. And that's just like, you know, I think people understand that, oh, in America, we spend a lot of money on elections. And, like, that's just a thing that's unique about America, but also, like, it shows how kind of fucked up it is. But, like, running candidates is a very profitable industry. And it's not yeah. just that, oh, you got to buy a lot of ads. It's like there's a whole, you know, commercial ecosystem around getting hired by campaigns. We're going to have bigger budgets year after year and are going to spend more year after year into things like this, like just coming up with a, yeah, here's a pitch to you guys. I can get you, I can get more eyes on your ads that are going to then be influenced by it or whatever. So, I mean, just that was just trippy to me just to know, never even thinking about the fact that like, Oh, this industry that Wiley was just trying to get a piece of that pie, you know, like a piece of that market share. But the fact that it is that big of an industry, lots of people like him, you know, who are more or less effective than than he was. It's just the fact that it's just like a money-making operation to just run candidates at all is very American politics to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it speaks to just the insane consulting uh, share of money poured into politics. How much of that goes into these kind of placeholder consulting jobs? And that's kind of the secret of the Trump campaign is that the data science the real move that Cambridge Analytica did to help uh, the Trump campaign was hire two Decent data scientists who mm-hmm. did a good job, basically buying ads. They would just go on Facebook and they would <laughs> configure the little stuff that anybody could do. Yeah, no, literally I've used a tools Facebook available ad before. To, yeah, to you sorry. and I today. <laughs> it's it's like, we have who no should we show the account. Empire Files ad to? Like That's people
1: it. who like uh, Noam Chomsky and whatever. Yeah. it's like
0: very easy to do. That's it. And so they were just good at doing that, and <laughs> the message was a good one. It was the classic old-fashioned idea of advertising. If it's a good message and it gets in front of As many eyes as possible, it'll work. And, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not one to take Steve Bannon at his word, but he gets like this little moment where he's being interviewed and he's like, it was the fucking rallies. That's what they never understood, you know? Like, he's, (laughs) he's, he's like, and he's also pointing out, I think rightfully so, that like, what is he going to do? Like, debunk that he's a genius? Like, he doesn't want to like, you know, I think Wiley's story profits him as well, honestly. Mm-hmm. And the reason why Wiley came up with this stuff in the first place wasn't that he was, like, particularly bored with his career or dead ending. It's because he, he, the journalist who broke the original story, uh, Carol Cadwallader, who's done some great work, but I think also, you know, some flaws, I think, in this work have been kind of revealed with some of these, some of this new uh, information. You know, she was targeting him. Like, she had kind of zeroed in on him, like, right. wait, this guy seems like he's the guy who did this stuff. Right. and At that point, Wiley, who's you know young, mid twenties, smart, he was like, "What if I gave her a bigger target? This is, you know, we can't prove this, but from the information we've uncovered, it seems like that's probably what
1: happened." Oh, so like he thought he was going to get exposed anyway because they are already the Cambridge Analytica thing was going to come
0: out. Yeah, what if he was and he was going to come out as the bad guy. Yeah, he was going to be the brain. He was going to be the guy who came up with the idea, who pitched the idea, who wrote the, the stuff, who was kind of uh, even trying to break away afterwards to take like that idea with him because he thought that these people were going to profit off it instead of him. You know, and this is a very different, like, it wasn't going to work to to like have that uh, for him. He was going to, maybe get in trouble like honestly and so I think what he did was he crafted a story that already was there and part true right which is you know that there's like uh, manipulative practices and dark money and that Steve Bannon is involved and all that stuff is essentially true right it just omits the fact that he was the center of the operation Mm -hmm. that he was only there for six months (laughs) that he's lying about part of the work that he did for Cambridge Analytica like the pitches that he was in are just like flatly false. Like we've talked to the people in the companies that he supposedly yeah, pitched. Yeah, like
1: didn't he say, like part of his story is that he thought he was hired to like combat extremism yes. online. yeah. Which is, is like yes. feeding into like the, you know, the liberal story who's very concerned about online the right. proliferation of online extremism. He was joining to like do good. He took a to six-month contract. And to help Cambridge Analytica stop online extremism.
0: He took a six-month contract and they were like working for the right wing. I mean, he right. straight up was the guy that with Bannon and them for those six months at least worked uh, on the kind of Cambridge Analytica micro-targeting, essentially, right. and that is that is, uh, I mean, it. First of all, it's a very short stint of time, so he has to kind of like invent things that he did outside of that time, and he also fudges when he left. Like all sources right. point to a departure that's months off of the departure that he indicates, and when you're dealing with a six month period in a specific contract, which you know you signed with a date beginning and ending, you start to see that, yeah, he's just muddying things just just enough. And at the time, there was a huge uh, kind of surge in in stuff about how Steve Bannon was an evil genius working inside the Trump campaign. And that trump had manipulated like your you know your aunt and uncle mm-hmm. like into voting for him and that russians had were involved and so the story became the most um salient possible version of itself in in the way that he told carol cadwallader and she was able to become very famous get all of her uh you know her article like spread everywhere i mean this this hit every major news outlet which i think is also probably why like you haven't heard more about this on mm-hmm. these major outlets because Unfortunately, it would involve them going, Yeah, we we fucked up. Like do, we got caught yeah. with our pants down. Not because we did anything like evil, but it's just um accountability. It was, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's accountability it, was, for it was just easy for that story to go down at that time. Yeah, like people right. were hungry for those types of yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah. It was believable. I mean, I I remember, yeah, like being surprised when Anthony first brought me this story, not not necessarily because you know, there was like uh, they had exaggerated the Russian connections or all of these kinds of things, but more just like Wait, so that secret sauce like doesn't exist at all. Like, there's right, no right, actually right, like, yeah, exactly. like, evil data science. Like, because I I do think data science is evil. It's just it's like evil in a more boring way, and uh, the practices are so widespread, so acceptable. It's uh, that's really worrying. Obviously, those. So there is a scandal around Facebook. There's a scandal around
2: consulting. There's a scandal around a lot of things,
0: and it just isn't the one we thought it is. Uh,
2: Well, especially because it bragged about the 5,000 data points. And I was just like, that's why it was surprising to me because I was like, I don't even know like 10 data points about myself. And I know a lot (laughs) of these people like do live on Facebook, a lot of people out of certain demographic. And so it kind of made sense to manipulate to that like granular level to actually exploit someone so psychologically. But but yeah, I mean, when you really like break it down, it just is completely absurd. Well, also, when you like something, you want to
0: appear like you like it publicly. Right. It doesn't mean you necessarily like mm-hmm. it. It means that you want to represent yourself as that. It's like saying that yeah. you can build a psychological profile of someone by, like, how they decorated their MySpace to, like, look smart. Or, like, right. put a list of books that they probably haven't read, like, to look smart or whatever. So, you ha- there, there's so many, like, problems with uh, the model itself and the effectiveness of, like, the kind of black magic aspect of things versus just the surveillance state gathering these public data no, points. You're so
2: right. It's like what you put on a dating profile, you know. <laughs> right. Like it's a yeah, like really real. You're, there's someone to <laughs> <representation> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: It's like what you want people to think you're like. <laughs> it's like believing that the Instagram influencer's life is really <laughs> right, like no, that. Exactly. Right, it's literally right, what it is. <laughs> you're a dupe, like, you know. And so it's like there's faulty premises kind of li- lining a lot of levels of this story, which is why it's kind of a complicated story, uh, but it it collapses. The official narrative in almost all ways collapses at like every level, which is very surprising because i think some people say wow well, who cares what are you are you trying to like uh, actually say that like uh, whatever trump's more popular or like are you trying to like defend you know like all these bad people like steve bannon or whatever and i would say like if we if we can't re-examine why a scandal like this happened why we were hungry for it why people bought it what you know what was manipulated about it and then we're going to continue to basically have like a medieval vision of like data science that is akin to uh, scrying or magic or reading tea leaves. that This is, you know, we have to, um, it's, it's a comforting belief because it means we're basically not in control that like the, the, mm-hmm. the complexity of this microtargeting system already knows what we're going to do. And it can manipulate us if, the, if it wants to, it is essentially like a, a almost like supernatural belief. And um, I think we need those to cope with certain things like the yeah. shock of seeing Trump take office.
2: Oh, you're so right. What, Yeah. What's interesting is that there was no whistleblower to come out and usurp this guy's story and be like, no, this actually (laughs) was not real. Like the fact that he was able to go on and sell this book and become this hero where he's still just revered really says a lot about the lack of accountability of.
1: And like mainstream media, it's like the fact that they were already on the story and that it was going to come out, but he was going to come out as one of the villains. And he just was able to just be like, you know what? Check out my hair and my outfit and I'm gonna tell you that so we'll point care. the finger at these other guys and I'm actually the hero of the story.
0: He and they're just like, all like right. he kinda of did the equivalent of like a PR person's version of like flipping on your friends. Right. Where you're like, I'll collaborate <laughs> with you guys if you like if I don't get a sentence, you know, but he did it like in a <laughs> In a way that he he arranged an aesthetic bouquet that would be irresistible for the reporters that already thought they had the story down, right, like that right. they understood the greater story and yeah. that it was really dramatic and interesting, which in many ways it was. And I don't want to take away entirely from the work of some of these big journalists that helped bring this out, but it is also in- important to like figure things out later, just like Russiagate or just like any insane uh, – uh, 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 conspiracy theory on the right, um, which I'm not saying Russiagate is a perfect equivalent to, but like, it's important to re-examine things once the heat of the, of like the cultural moment dies down mm-hmm. so we can actually understand what the fuck actually happened. Cause otherwise, I mean, why are we even studying politics or history? If, if, if like, we don't like a piece of information, we're just not going to go and re-examine it. And so it feels a bit like that. Like I was at first very, uh, almost opposed to like the retread of Cambridge Analytica. But mm-hmm. the more stuff I was shown, I mean, it eventually became a two-part episode for us because I was like, it's important because because the story is such a monolith, it was important for us to gather as many points of proof and different people from across the spectrum that were deeply involved with it and primary documents so that we wouldn't just end up carrying water, that we would be challenging a a big and widely spread story for a reason and on a basis that we could stand behind, right? And that's, I think, what Anthony Monci's reporting does. Um, And I just, I do think that it should be out there more. Like, this is at least an article like by (laughs) these big people who published the Mindfuck uh, uh, flavored articles uh, back in the day. If you're covering this beat, you should be just as interested in, in a revision of it, you know, and we, we, we're not trying to say it's a debunk. That's why we named the episodes rewriting Cambridge Analytica Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's, that's the idea is like with additional evidence, we can see the situation more directly. And that might mean taking Christopher Wiley off the pedestal. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. he's like some great supervillain, but it also might mean like disabusing ourselves of, of these falsities about how data works and disabusing ourselves of the falsities of the uniqueness of the Trump campaign's right. employment of data.
1: Yeah, because it's like a recurring thing. I mean it's if it, it was RussiaGate and like that's like there's this old, this like inability Of like in this weird time that we're in politically, which is a different time. I mean, it's it hasn't been like this in the U.S. for a long time. It's weird, Um, and just finding trying to find ways to explain it and explain Trump and all this shit, and, and coming up with wrong ideas and then spreading them as the answer, and then millions and millions of people think that that's the answer, and then the political system itself doesn't look into actually what the answers are and all of that. And it's um, you know, like that's there's all these different elements to it. Um. Not to be too obsessed with Tulsi Gabbard, but it's almost like Wiley and Gabbard have like a similar, it's like when someone for liberals in particular, like, and for Republicans have their versions of it too, but like when someone fits like a certain aesthetic and checks certain boxes mm-hmm. and they're saying something that they like at a given time, it doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter checking their credentials, checking if they're legitimate, checking if they're just feeding a bunch of bullshit to advance their own careers or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's almost like very easy to like manipulate the political system today. Yeah. Cause you just have to brand yourself right and say the right thing. And then, you know, there's no like deeper look. And people just look at like,
0: who is this damaging to? And if it's like yeah. th- mm-hmm. their team, they just go, well then no, right. because this is, th- because I think what's really sad is that we've all become info warriors. We have, accepted Alex Jones paradigm about reality, which is that it's actually just a series of competing narratives and you can push yours and it's worth it if you're on the right side of history, the right team. Which I'm sorry, like we need to temper that with some fucking acceptance of of or attempt to build a common reality, not just one that like um I guess assuages and, and kind of soothes our predispositions. Yeah.
2: Yeah and it's, it's like not team sports. It's like it's an easy scapegoat because it just makes you put your head in the sand and be like, oh, you can explain away why all this happened, but it also does a grave disservice because it's taking away our political agency. Yes. And that's, I think, it was a really important point that you made is that you just can write away, like historical narratives by being like, oh, it's just out of our control. What, yeah. what point is there to engage at all mm-hmm. if this is all being pre-written for us? It's
0: extremely demobilizing, you know, mm-hmm. and and disempowering um, because it is essentially, again, like a theory about a, a great big shadowy force beyond our understanding that can manipulate us from like beyond the veil, which... We don't need more of those stories these days, I think. I think we need more like concrete uh, evidence and and kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, material evaluations of, of uh, you know, uh, where cause and effect lies. And because uh, otherwise we're not going to, I mean, not that I think we're going to make it out of it anyways, but not to be a downer. But like, yeah, if we are going to like, I don't know, I don't know what I'm defending here. Well, reality, you know,
1: sanity. Yeah, and but like one of the uh, this isn't really a revelation of Wiley as a whistleblower, but just from some of his private communications that you guys put out. But like he had this one comment when he's like thinking about the commercial potential of his system. This thing about how like there's quote uh, a lot of libertarian billionaires who want to get people elected. Like that is a real political reality here. And mm-hmm. even you know, Abby, I know that you you know follow this closer than I do. But like in the midterm election, there is a lot of just.
2: Peter right. Thiel cutouts, like yeah, just, like, you know, sure. Blake, Blake Masters, J.D. Vance. I mean, it's mm-hmm. getting creepier because these are literal cutouts of the Thiel Foundation more so than just Mercer-backed candidates. I mean, mm-hmm. what uh, Masters was like, literally like an executive at the Thiel Foundation. He's just this bizarre figure who just comes and adapts whatever he wants to as a character and he just didn't exist before and really almost won. So when you see things like this happening it becomes extremely abstract, like how... How much weirder is this going to get? where just now actual corporations are just going to like put up. There's like no in between, you know. <laughs> it was funny to me, I and mean, it was crazy. I mean, it
1: just was like a kind of mask off thing. But like when Trump like was putting in, just like the entire like Department of Defense was just all like oh, yeah. Raytheon CEOs yeah. and shit. Where it was just straight up like, Listen, no, no, it's not. I look You're forward current. I'm going to leave to the like... board of Lockheed to come to the to uh, Pentagon.
0: I look forward to like the first candidate who was literally raised in a vat by PepsiCo. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> Just like this is a genetically <laughs> created beast, you know. Yeah, and we're uh, close.
2: Let's go. I mean, you know, yeah. Veil off. Yeah. What, what did Obama's people say about this? Because did they agree that it lacked the impact that we were told, or were they trying yes. to bolster that narrative? That
0: no, Ken Strasma, You know, I mean, I think that uh, a lot and a lot of data scientists, um, you know, who probably aren't like as caught up in the Uh, you know, the ambition and uh, maybe already have a job like Ken Strasma has already had a job with the Obama administration, but they kind of de-dramatize, you know, a lot of the micro targeting stuff and data science stuff. And, you know, I think his point was that when he met with Christopher Wiley, which in the book is characterized as a meeting where Christopher Wiley brought up like his His kind of moral issues with like Cambridge Analytica and, you know, like offered to like talk to Hillary Clinton and help her campaign. Strasma has no memory of those meetings like happening, like, you know, and there's no real reason for him to lie there. I mean, again, Wiley's like a hero in the media. Um, he's a liberal hero and considered like a kind of, whistleblower who I guess never does solitary. He just ends up at H&M. <laughs> h <Yeah. laughs> But like It kind of tells you something already about like the risks of the whistleblowing, but yeah. So I think Strasma, he had those dual roles of like, of de dramatize uh, First of all, saying that Wiley never really worked that close with the Obama campaign. Second of all, to say that he didn't have this kind of like whistleblower's remorse and didn't have these, these talks that he claims to have had with, uh, with him. And that also he, uh, Testified to the fact that when he was forming this comp- uh, competition company to Cambridge Analytica, when he was supposedly in his remorse stage and said he was trying to compete directly for the same clients, he did. He confirmed that that Unoya came with a team of five people to like meet with him and discuss the future of the company and how to put it together and how to pitch it. Um, and that those people, all of those people are like big players in the Cambridge, what would eventually become the Cambridge Analytica scandal. But when you ask Wiley about it, what he directly told us was that company didn't exist. Uh, and, you know, we brought up that he had several people that appeared at conferences saying, I'm the CTO of this company, the CEO. And he's like, well, it's just like a company we use for contracting. And like, yes, it was registered at my friend's house, you know. Um, But when you really look at it and what was happening from the perspective of the people that they were meeting with or pitching, it was a totally different story. It was like this put together company, five representatives showing up at once. They've Mm -hmm. already determined their roles. And so I think Unoya, that company, is never mentioned in his book. I mean, this is a huge... Yeah, I tried to pretend it didn't. Empty space. Uh, he, he he claims that it was a company, but it was because— Just to pay himself as a contractor himself. or whatever. Yeah, and then claimed know. that the other team member, um, uh, you know, was because he was registered at his address because he was his friend. Right. Mark Gettleson. You know, do you have some funny moments
1: in your episode? Cause you have a lots of interview with Wiley yeah. that Anthony Monsui does. And it's a funny part where he just straight up is like, did you just do this to save like your own ass? Because like you created this <laughs> thing and then you're going to be done. And he's like, I, I I, don't like that framing because then you could say like, any whistleblower yeah. was saving their ass Cause any, every whistleblower was at one time, like part of the thing that they ended up not liking. And then Anthony's just like, yeah, but you made th- like this, you is, created your it. this like, is your thing. Like you're baby. the one yeah. that like it God was bless French reporters. Idea. Like there's some
0: good comedy there. Like when you yeah. consider like kind of how softball, uh, you know, certain American reporters can be, because he's like he's not scared to like kind of I think confront him, and it's not gotcha stuff. It's all based yeah. on very concrete research that he's done with all of these individuals and kind of went uh, out of his way to like vet all of this material because he's an old school reporter like you know that's what i like about antonies like <laughs> he'd like Truly does the work. He's going to go to Italy to interview Bannon, and uh, you know, record it. What all are and these keep guys doing all.
1: in Italy? He interviews
0: Bannon and Wiley in wrote Italy. And it's like, oh no, I, w- I want to go to Italy. Wiley's not in Italy at all. Oh, think. I thought he was
1: in Rome at one point.
0: Uh, I don't. I don't know if he's ever been to Rome. No, this is definitely Bannon's okay, little okay. excursion. It's when he was running that like weird. He was living in that chateau and supposedly running a school for like um, European oh, like right wing <laughs> like people that he would like. Oh my god, them in, trippy
1: but, shit. But. Yeah. Um, Amazing work that you guys did. It's a two-part interview. I really hope everyone checks it out on QAnon Anonymous, wherever you stream podcasts. Um, I think it's just so many dimensions to it that are very interesting. And then just, you really have to hear it for yourself. Just the the people on tape talking in very funny and entertaining ways, but also just really important politically in the fact that no media has picked up on the fact that this, you guys have kind of released this big bombshell that dispels what was like the biggest story in America for a long time. Yeah, Like it yeah. was the story. And even I would think like, oh yeah, isn't it crazy that like Mercer just puts all this money into elections? Like I didn't even question it. It was just considered as like as like fact. So yeah, I mean, any any closing thoughts or anything else that you thought we missed or that you uh, feel is important? As my a- closing
0: thoughts are like, you know, I guess like get in touch with us. We have all these documents and these interviews that are even bigger than the two uh, the two episodes. Obviously mm. we had to like format it for, for understandability and um, but there's just so much uh, material here Uh, And so we are like looking for, uh, you know, journalists that are interested in covering this and potentially like get access to this and work with Anthony, you know, because it's work that at the very least should just be at least translated and uh, be available online Mm -hmm. um, because it's um, it's fastidious work and it's good work. And I don't know that should I think that should mean something. So, yeah, get in touch. (laughs) But we are working with some people who are interested. We'll see if that turns out, you know. Yeah, But hopefully this gives me even more leverage because they'll feel like there's hundreds of people hitting me thanks up. That's <laughs> right. Anyways, I got to take this Rachel Maddow <laughs> Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for having me. That's really, yeah. yeah, it was really great. Thanks for coming on.